American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life when the words all come down like Welcome to another episode of American Timelines. Time I'm Amy and that's Joe. And we're History for Jerks. Oh, that's right. You want to say that. I like to say History for Jerks. That's our brand. Okay. Yes. I always forget. Yeah. And we, uh, this is the third episode that we've now started having guests. So we have some yes. wonderful, beautiful, very attractive guests today. <laughs> yes. The owners and proprietors of 360 Flavor and Spice in the Chicagoland area. Yes, but it's online, so anybody can buy from them. That's right. The Serpinskis, John and Hello. Ann. Hello. Welcome. Yay. Hey. Thank you for being here on American Timelines. We love it. <laughs> and it's American Timeline for jerks? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It kind of. It pretty much is. Well, we have a uh, we have a Jamaican jerk spice at the shop, which is very popular. See, there you go. Oh, right. doing See, the spice. Like bringing that in. So you can buy a Jamaican jerk spice, but my question is, is it is it going to be too spicy for me? Yes. Yes. <laughs> for you, yes. So you're like yeah. spi- you're a pretty spicy I guy. I love spicy, but you know how jerk like Jamaican jerk like you right. don't you don't order jerk spice unless you really like spice. We right? put we uh, we put the habanero in it, and that gives it uh, a, a big kick of flavor. It's pretty spicy. Hey, did, did you ever accidentally get that stuff in your eye? Oh my god! Oh yeah, but worse is. <laughs> In your pee hole. You know, you just have to go to the bathroom and... Yeah. yeah. You get it in. And, not, you know, yeah. and then there's the powders around and... And you get it on your junk? Yeah, because, like, the powder can be on your clothes. And, yeah, so that's the... that's Yipe. Well, to save money, like, if you ever get a bunch in your eye or in your hair, like, do you... And be honest here. To save money, do you just kind of, like, comb it out of your hair back into the jar? Gross. No. Don't <laughs> say that. No, just, that, that's, that's illegal. A, that's we disgusting. Have, that's a test. That's I want to say that no, I we got... have an emergency eye wash station. They require us to have it's a, it's a shower. You have to, and it, it costs the ten thousand dollars. But you have to have it when you're dealing with habanero. Okay, you have. Yeah, it's, it's by law. You have to have an emergency eye wash. Well, station? not a law. You know, it's more it's of a, a rule, like a spice rule. You just like got to have the. Uh, yeah. Oh, and it's been it. used. It's been used. Okay, it's, it has been used. And and I've done before the mask days. I used to do this by accident, and habanero up the nose is yeah, so just as bad. For Burn li- your nose for, hairs. For right listeners off. at home that aren't on this private Zoom call, when she said this, she motioned about wiping. Oh her yeah, nose. sorry. Yeah, there's a <laughs> podcast. Yeah, can't don't see put it. habanero powder in your nose. Um, it hurts a lot. <laughs> it hurts a lot. Yeah. It's well, just, I I just want to say that I. I b- bought my mom and Joe's mom um, gift. Y- there's like a, yeah, for Mother's a Day. gift thing of spices, and you get to pick. From and they have all of these. Spice. Yeah, and they have all of these really cool blends. And they both raved about it. My mom even reordered it, I think. Yeah. And I'm yeah. going to probably do it again this su- Christmas. Yeah, that's all we're yeah. giving. We're only giving spices for Christmas. To for everyone. everybody, to even, even our children. Even the children. Christmas morning. <laughs> Spices, that's it. Yep. A little bit of cocoa spice. What yeah. do you, you guys do? Like a, a little sp- bit of mac and cheese? Sweet mac Ooh. and cheese? Oh, yes. see? Good. And, and we talked about this offline, but let's go ahead and put it for our listeners. You can use these spices on anything, right? There's nothing. Yes. There's nothing you can't put a spice on. Correct. Yep. That's it. Yeah. So, yes, absolutely. Even a bowl of cereal? Like I got Apple Jacks. What spice can I put on it? Uh, we call it brec- breakfast sugar. <laughs> it's a great. Uh, it's a <laughs> sugar on sugar. Yeah, yeah. Sugar on sugar. pretty much or sugar. People, people do the cinnamon. People will do. We have something we call hot cinnamon. Yeah, where we make a little cayenne with the, uh, the 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 Saigon cinnamon, and Ooh. people will sprinkle that on there. 
apple jacks or pancakes or coffee and make it a little bit Sounds spicy. Good. So the thing yeah. about this is, f- folks, you know, you gotta, you have to have spices anyway. Why yeah. buy them at your stupid bullshit grocery? And store? And they're not, they're not bad. Their prices are very. And reasonable. that's what I'm saying. They're affordable. Like this yeah. is affordable. You can get them shipped from this company and well, support. And a we're small doing business. a, we're doing a six ninety five flat rate shipping and handling now. That's ridiculous. That that's is, ridiculously low. They yes. told me I was crazy. <laughs> that is a crazy <laughs> price. So the thing is, you want to support a small business, so yeah, don't be a dumbass. Support this small business, and it's a great, and- it's a great like thoughtful gift that people think, oh, what a what a neat idea. Yeah. You know, people always say that. Yeah, our moms were both spices. happy that we were not. They were not only supporting uh, small business, but they got to have the enjoyable spices. That you know, you don't have time at the grocery store to go in the spice aisle. That's bullshit. Well, and the spices right. in the grocery store are more expensive than your spices, and they're bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, the, the spice aisle <laughs> is usually at the back of the store where they don't have cameras, so it's not a good aisle to be. Unsavory in. people. Yeah, yes. yes. it's the most dangerous aisle. Around. It's yes. the most dangerous aisle at any grocery store. You could get absolutely. Mugged. Yeah. So yes. this way, why do you think why do you think we started our business? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> to avoid the crime in the spice aisle at the grocery store. It, it was rampant. Couple oh. attacks over celery seed, and you don't go back. That's, <laughs> That's all I'm right. Saying. That's right. Crime-free spices here. You can get yeah. your spices without any crimes. Well, and yeah. don't you have something? And so we're in 1950 now. American timelines. We're going to jump in. We left off at the end of February. We're going to jump in in March. Don't you have something to say about a 19? Don't you have a 1950 type of spice? Yeah, we um, uh, both Ann and I. Uh, we hearken back to a day when you'd go out to the supper clubs, and you'd have you'd see a show, and you'd get that great uh, old-fashioned supper club food like big steaks, big chops, salmon. Uh, baked potatoes. So we have a spice that we call Chicagoland Supper Club, where it's great on all those things. Where it adds, it's got a little bourbon in it. It's got a little smoke to it. It's got Ooh. some garlic and pepper. So it, nice. yeah, it, it does it roasted half chicken. That sounds um, good. Well, so it's kind of it's kind of a big basic flavor that again reminds you reminds us of those uh, that classic uh, food. Now, now you guys are going to talk about supper clubs, aren't you? No. Oh, okay. No, I thought I, it was... they have something else. And I de- see the part of the thing with this guys is we don't tell each other. Amy and I don't tell each other what we're going to talk about, and we don't talk oh. to each other in general so, at all. So, ever. so we get a genuine <laughs> reaction, and we don't really get along. So they have no idea what thing I gave you guys to talk oh, about. Okay. But there's going to be a little extra bonus because Ann uh, interviewed her. Did you get a hold of your dad earlier, Ann? I did. Okay. Good. Oh, so that's we'll, good. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. Um, but before we jump in, I want to talk about, well, you know, last episode we talked about the Diners Club was the first credit card ever. Yeah. And Diners Club, Supper Club, Diners Club card, blah, 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 bleep, bleep, blue. So it's a good mm-hmm. segue. So what was the Supper Club? It was just people eating at, it was like a potluck or? or No, it's, and there's still like Supper Clubs in existence in Wisconsin, like Wisconsin still has them. It's like when you watch a Doris Day movie and they go, like there's the big band and there's dancing and there are those old fashioned tables, oh. like even in the green book yeah. where the guy works, those that's like a supper yeah, club. You, you so start it's off like at a the bar. restaurant. Yes, a restaurant. Okay. You, you start off at the bar and have your big uh, Manhattans and your big martinis yeah. and then you yeah. wait for your table to be called and then, the, and then they, again, they don't have a, a real wide ranging menu. It's, it's the basic things and it, it's something that... Uh, you, you know, you, you always come back to you know what, what's going to be there. They have soup. So They'll they have a soup have du jour. Soup. Probably a lot of. They'll soup, do the soup du jour. Soup du jour. So yeah, it's sort of like your classic. Might have some baked Alaska for dessert. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely! Yes. Yeah. Oh, they love baked. Alaska. <laughs> yeah. They really like baked Alaska. That's right. Um, so uh, while we're talking about the last episode, real quick, I wanted to. I have a couple things uh, we haven't done this in a while but we have corrections and apologies because oh la- man last episode we uh jessica and amy and i sp- just spouted off some lies and i like to apologize for that <laughs> yep. and then clear it up so we talked about the movie grease because i was saying how i um uh, what was it that i didn't know anything about the 50s or something and she said what about the movie grease yeah something like that and then she thought it might be set in the 60s instead and we oh. all were like yeah maybe we don't know it was actually set in 1959. So that's not a big deal. 
That's, that's kind of what we said. But the other one was I straight out lied. And remember we talked about the TV <laughs> show, uh, What's My Line? Yes. And I said that one of the best episodes you can see on YouTube is where that guy, that old man who witnessed Abe Lincoln get yes, murdered. Yes, yes. I remember that. Well, it, I was wrong. It wasn't that show. It was I've Got a Secret. Oh. Was the name of that show with the old man who witnessed Lincoln getting shot. Well, okay. And the was, other big... What, go ahead. Was he lying? Did he really? No, he really did. Really? No, so in the 50s, this was like 1955 or six or something. There was a show called I've Got a Secret, and it's this old man. Like he's a mil- he's a hundred and something years old. He's just this old guy. He keep- barely can open an eye. And yeah. the, the contestants had to guess what his secret was. And they found out he witnessed something. He witnessed something amazing. And then at the end, it was like he witnessed Abe Lincoln being shot. Oh, my God. He was five years old at Ford Theater in 1865 or whatever right. it was. So that it, is it, so sad. Yeah. And it's crazy to think about that somebody was alive in the 50s. And then we some, went off about who brings a five-year-old to a movie theater. Yeah, so we talked all about that. But anyway, I said it was on the wrong show. And then we also, the other big thing is we... Talked a little bit about McCarthyism, and we all showed our ignorance that not really understanding the yeah. whole thing. And so Amy and I looked up, uh, we wa- listened to a podcast last night, stuff you should know about yeah. McCarthyism. And it kind of is basically what you kind of what you think it is, like just mm-hmm. basically saying liberals are anti-patriotic and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and you know, trying to call P- them pigeonhole all, people as communists. Call them all and traitors and stuff. Kind of like, kind of like that's the 50s thing. or today. Yeah, yeah, really. It's, yeah, a little bit of both. It's like yeah. Some things never change. Uh, but yeah. now we're going to jump right into this episode in March. I'm trying to get comfortable Jeez, here. what are you doing? Sorry, it's, it's hard doing to get calisthenics over I here. I have a bad back, lady. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to jump right in March 1st, 1950. Okay. Uh, on that day, it was a Wednesday mm-hmm. at 7.35 p.m. in Beatrice, Nebraska. Okay. A gas line explosion destroyed the Westside Baptist Church. I heard about. I read about this when the twelve-member church choir was scheduled to practice. Mm-hmm. They were all supposed to be there, but the church was empty because every member of that choir happened to be running late that day. Mm-hmm. One member, wow. one member had taken a nap and overslept. Another singer and her two daughters had car trouble. The church pastor and his wife had been de- been detained by a problem at home, and none of the other six had even left the house. And That's amazing. Wow. What are the chances? And they have well, like there's a lot of stuff online about oh was it divine intervention? You know. Yes, yes, it was. John says it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I mean, because right. it's a big coincidence. If, yep. if you a, not, you have a spice for that. <laughs> <laughs> for uh, well, we got a smoky one we call um, uh, firecracker spice. There. You- <laughs> yeah, we, it's, it's kind of the smoky, smudgy. Uh, great on wings. So if you're going to be stuck um, in a gas oh no, line I'm, I, have, I have a perfect one. We call it the apocalypse spice. Oh. <laughs> where we actually put sulfur in it. and I mean, it's edible, but it's got the sulfury kind of a... And there's uh, the ghost chili peppers, which Ooh. are incredibly hot chili peppers. So ghost yeah. peppers yes, are very hot. We, okay. have a, we have a spice for that. Cool. You know what? I think I'm just going to buy... Like, do you have, are your spices ranked in order of, like, spiciness? Like, do you have, like, a scale? Like a thermometer? Uh, but I, it's, I make it up. It's in my mind. Uh, and I constantly, <laughs> customers will ask, I constantly change it. So, so. it'll be like, you know, uh, I'll say on a scale of from 1 to 64, it's a 32.5. <laughs> I did see on your website, what is cool about the website, I was, I was perusing it uh, last night or the day before. Um, and I think I have a bunch of stuff left in my shopping cart. So I'm waiting for you guys to email me and say, hey, you forgot to check out. But you can uh, search by, you know, there's like parameters you can like search by. And you can, there's one all for hot and spicy. Oh, yeah. So you can just pull Look up on your menu everything right. that's hot and spicy. Can I, can I say something real quick about, it's called the Scoville heat rating, which yeah. actually determines how hot a uh, pepper is. Yeah. Uh, it can be it can be like one to three hundred thousand. That's not uh, very. And useful. the higher the number, the hotter it is. Yeah. And it comes from a very strange person. This guy named Scoville, who I don't know when, but is I believe a hundred years ago, he would test where he would spray sugar water into somebody's tongue after they had eaten a, a hot chili pepper. Yeah. And the number of sprays it took to get them to diffuse the heat 
was his rating. So if it took 10 sprays, what? Uh, you know, a mild chili would have a 10. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. That's some diabetes. So the Scoville rating is how they rate it. I don't know how they do it now. They don't, they don't do that now, but they still will use the Scoville <laughs> rating to say I, if, you know. Uh, now, I can't ever tell if John Serpinski is. I've never been able to tell when he's yep. lying or. It's telling he, the truth. He's, he's I. I don't lie. Now, I do know that Am the Scoville rating is, is fact. I don't know about Mr. Scoville or yeah, any yeah. of the Scoville's, sugar water. But sugar water. Scoville's <laughs> a real hermit. <laughs> yeah. I love it, though. I'm just going to yeah, say, just for our listeners' sake, we have never have we've never been able to tell if this guy's telling the truth or not, ever. We've lived together. <laughs> yeah, we've lived with John Sapinski. Right. And there's no way. Yeah, we lasted about three months. <laughs> he kicked us out. <laughs> That's right. We'll have. There's no way to ever know when he's telling the truth. Or, but you know, and then there's the old saying: if you believe it, it's not a lie. And I think John kind of um, follows that. Okay, back to March. March second, nineteen fifty, was a Thursday. Karen Carpenter was born, American singer and drummer in New Haven, Connecticut. Okay. She died in nineteen eighty three. I know. And then March third yeah. was a Friday. In 1950, the U.S. House of Representatives that day voted 186 to 146 in favor of statehood for Alaska. Oh. I I thought we bought that from Russia. Uh, yeah. I well, think maybe it was a, was it a territory or something before that, maybe? Oh. Like Puerto Rico, like Puerto Rico is, maybe. Oh, who, so 146 people didn't want it to be America? Yeah. That's weird. Although the bill would be approved by the Interior and Insular Affairs Committee of the U.S. Senate on June 29th, the House resolutions in favor of statehood for Alaska and Hawaii would be blocked from ever coming to a Senate vote during the remainder of 1949-51 session. I so, wonder if it has uh, anything to do with the, Inuit, uh, if the, with the Inuit population. And maybe them not wanting to assimilate, you know, because sometimes... <laughs> that's true. Nobody really asked them, did they? No. And and I think that that's with Puerto Rico nowadays, they say that, you know, what do they want to do? I, I can't imagine anybody in the 50s gave a shit what they No, they, that's what, what I'm wanted. saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Right. No, I'm saying... They, and people... Yeah. 50s a round number. People don't want to go to 51. Yeah, that's true. But they should just make North Dakota and South Dakota one state. They it really shouldn't should. Be two Yo, I states. agree. I think the Dakotas, yeah. like the Dakotas, Montana, like that whole like, just one big giant thing, just one state. What would they call it? Montana, Dakota, Montana, 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 Wyoming. All right, and then Saturday, March fourth, nineteen fifty. Rick Perry was born. Stop. And then Amy hates it when I say birthdays. So I'll, I only say it just a while just to get, a, get her all mad. Mm-hmm. And then, that, but this brings us now to Tuesday, March 7th, 1950. And this is the day that the U.S. House of Representatives voted 261 to 110 in favor of granting statehood to, statehood to Hawaii. Well, I didn't know that happened that in the same, at the same time at like same that. Time. And uh, that same day, and. Keen, Vikings fan, and John Serpinski, the Serpinski family, they have a story to tell us. Awesome. I do. So, um, Northwest Flight 307 crashed in our lovely home state, John and my home state of Minnesota. Um, it, It hit a flagpole during a blinding snowstorm right in Fort Snelling's cemetery where the military are buried. Okay. The Ooh. flagpole bent in half. He was trying to land. Mm-hmm. It was Captain Donald Jones um, was trying to land, circled a second time, clipped his left wing. It still in Minnesota history is one of the second worst uh, fatalities for small airline crashes. And ironically, Joe, two years before, yeah. there was another crash that killed 36 people, almost the same thing. Really? The wing hit off due to the wind. This one was a blinding snowstorm, bent the flagpole in half. The, the wing hit a house and killed two kids. So oh part of the God. fatalities were two sleeping children, and then the plane destroyed that home and a bunch of other homes. Can you imagine? Um, 
Can you Ugh. even imagine? Like that you're that must be your time to go. My God. You're laying in your bed and a plane hits you. A, a plane yeah. in your bed. Yeah. My God. Little me, Janet and Tommy just never That was saw their name. Coming. That was their actual Janet name. Janet and Tommy Janet Sleep. and Tommy Dottie. They were um, sleeping in their beds. Yep. And for me, this tells me that, you know, this is still kind of the beginnings of flight. That's I a mean, final destination type thing going on. Yeah. Well, flight was new, like not completely new, but like it wasn't it, that regular. It was still relatively new for flight and commercial flights and things. And maybe we weren't meant to fly in Minnesota. Like it's, <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> like in the wintertime, you should just not have airports running. They I mean, were now. trying, there were a couple things with that, with that flight and the flight two years before, they were very nervous about flying past summer because yeah. of winds, rains, and these snowstorms that went like that. They didn't have the same kind of technology. So the control yeah. To- tower yeah. basically helped you land if they could see you. Yeah. They didn't have the technology. They knew you were coming. So they literally were looking for you. They didn't have... All this, the fancy stuff telling you. No so they're literally technology. trying to look to find him in the sky that's, as he's searching. That's pretty if we sad. can't see you, you can't land. I mean, right. The, <laughs> engines right. were run by hamsters and balls in 1950. That's right. That's yeah. what I hear. Oh, nice. From what I understand. Anyway, do you have a spice for this story, John? <laughs> uh, for the airline crash? Yeah. Yeah. Airlines, airlines. Let's see. Peanuts? I, when peanut I think of airlines, I think of cardamom. Oh. And so we have a great, uh, um, it's a Indian curry called garam masala, Ooh. which is cardamom is a real, uh, and of course, so you all know about the great cardamom scare of 1950. <laughs> no. Uh, we don't have time to go into it today. Oh, and, okay. and people, people want to, people kind of just wanted to be left alone. Which is okay. Like, <laughs> it's a bad in memory. In the past. And, and you, but. Is and did you what did your dad say when he got a hold of him about this? So it was funny. The only thing he remembered about it, my mom chimed in with, "You're talking about the other the the." So she started talking about the other plane crash. All they knew is that, hey, yeah, that's the one where the flagpole bent and they have a rock. So then I looked up the memorial rock. Yeah, they placed a rock on the. Mini Haha Parkway. Everything's Mini Haha up there, like okay. that. Yeah. From the Wadsworth poem, like, you know, the tragic death of Mini Haha. Well, no, the, yeah, the, they yeah. used to be uh, Native Americans there. And then, well, like, I understand that, but that's indigenous still people. naming a road and, and a rock and a, but yeah. it's fine. They, so literally across from where the flagpole was because yeah. they couldn't put it in the cemetery, yeah. there's a memorial rock with, all the people that died, including little Tommy and Janet. The little, so you can go visit children. the rock if you want to. I wonder what, like, uh, but the parents weren't harmed at that house, right? No. Just the children were killed? Just the kids. Oh, my God. That is weird. Can you imagine if your children... No. Like, no. We're hit by a plane in the red. That's just... Well, now, now I can because you brought it up, but... Yeah, now... <laughs> Thanks a lot, Joe. <laughs> Sorry, John. Sorry I'll sleep all the night thinking of the planes, Craig. We live right by an airport. Oh, no. (laughs) That's why I had you cover that, just to get you to move. You guys need to move. (laughs) Oh. Oh. (laughs) This isn't even a podcast. This is just... An intervention. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Oh, I see you. You guys are trying to get us to buy a house. You you said you're real estate. This is your way of doing real estate. I get it. That's an interesting way of doing that. (laughs) And Ann and John are coming to us from just outside Chicago. What's the uh, suburb you guys are in? St. Charles. Oh, St. Charles. Illinois. Yeah. In the Fox Valley. The the birthplace of cotton candy. Oh. Oh. Is that that true? I don't know. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's made up. No. It's made up. Totally lying. You can never tell. John Terpinski has lies. Thank you for covering that. That was actually yes. uh, very exciting. That was also the same day Franco Harris was born, uh, NFL football player that Amy doesn't care wow. about. Wow. Uh, it's and- the day before Mickey Dolan's turned eight. Oh. <laughs> I, Mickey Dolan's was born on March 8th in 1942. So I'm just saying he was on TV at that time in Circus Boy. Just How do you know all of this? Why do you Were you know? that much of a monkey's the monkeys. Oh, my oh. God. I didn't know them. that. 
That's so funny. Now, are you aware of the whole thing with the monkeys that it was just like an audition and they weren't real a real band? Like there was no. Actors? Don't don't start with that. <laughs> don't go with my monkeys. I'll get you. I mean, I, they, I'm. They were good, well, but they weren't like it was like a fake formed band. Like they started out fake, and then they learned their instruments and went on tour. Yeah. So and they still play all their own instruments. So by the time season one ended. They wanted to play their own instruments, but Bart Schneider <laughs> was the about? evil dictator whoa, who said, you will not. And Peter Tork and Mike Nesmith punched his hand through a wall. Well, Mike Nesmith used that, that whiteout money that he yeah. had from his mom. Yes, his, his mom, mom invented, invented whiteout. 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 Yeah. So he had yeah. that behind him. He's like, you better make me or you won't get whiteout for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody needs whiteout. But, yeah. and, and let me ask you this. This is a fair question, even though you're... Your lover, your sexual lover, is right there next to you. If you had never met John, and if age differences weren't a thing, and you you could sleep with one monkey, which one would it have been? Oh, I was in love with Mickey Dolenz for my like. I screamed at all of his concerts. I no ran. Way. I ran away from home to go because I was in love he, with him. He's the least attractive monkey. No. <laughs> he- not only no. he really is. Not only does no. nobody understand why you like the monkeys, you like the worst monkey. <laughs> no. That's like loving Ringo. He's not. He was number two to Davy in no, popularity. Even the Mike monkeys. Mike Nesmith is more bang. Mike Nesmith than. was no. a weird wool yeah, had Mike, Nesmith, Mike Nesmith was the fourth monkey. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, He's the fourth. You're wrong. Your taste. Peter Tork. Peter no. Tork. I would do Peter Tork. Even well, now I, I would. I don't now think I any would. of them are. I think Peter back Tork. then, Peter he's, dead, like he's dead now. Oh, he's Peter Tork's dead. Are any of them yeah. alive? Mickey Dolan. Davy Jones died first. Yeah, he was he murdered. murdered. That no, he wasn't murdered. His heart. Right. Why are his we talking about the monkeys? Yeah, there's nothing to do with fifty. Right, but that still that same day on March seventh, former U.S. Justice Department employee Judith Copeland. Coplan, C-O-P-L-O-N, became the first American to be convicted of spying for the Soviet Union. Oh. No. Yes. What about the Rosenbergs? They haven't happened yet, I don't think. I think they Not were... Yet. No, we're in 1950. Okay. I don't oh. know when that was. What about Madame Curie? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> she was a, a scientist, I believe. Right? <laughs> she, she, no, she I don't know. John I think. Know. She, I think she was a spy. <laughs> That's conjecture. That's a that's a hot take, John. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this brings us to Wednesday, March eighth, nineteen fifty. Okay, this was the day that the first Volkswagen van. Oh, I love those cars. Rolled off the assembly line in Wolfsburg, Germany. I know this is American timelines, and that's Germany, but I know you. So, like, Amy's dad had a Volkswagen van. You two of them. Oof. And this was 1950? 1950, March 8th. Oh, so it was just five years after the trouble then? Yes. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, that's nice. They, re- they recovered pretty Yeah, pretty they're all set then. now. Germany had to do something. <laughs> that same day, the, the World Figure Skating Championships concluded in Wembley, England, and Dick Button of the United States won the men's event for the third year in a row. Dick Button. You guys know who Dick Button is? No. no. Did he go on to a, a lucrative porn career after that? <laughs> just... That's a Dick Button. That would have been a... I don't know if it would have been lucrative, though, with a name like Dick Button. It's just a well, little Dick Button. <laughs> I'm Dick Button. I have a button dick, but I can uh, I can please all the ladies with my giant button dick. Tiny button dick. Tiny button dick. But Button is credited as having been the first skater to successfully land the double axle jump in competition back in 1948, as well as the first triple jump of any kind, a triple loop in 52. He also invented the flying camel spin, which was originally known as the button. A flying camel. The dick button camel. Uh, The dick button camel. dick button flying camel spin. Oh my, it sounds like a sex move. And in sad news, dick button suffered a serious... Yeah, it does. He suffered a serious head injury. On July fifth, nineteen seventy, doing the Dick Button Camel Spoon or whatever it's no, called. No, he was assaulted by a bunch of Camel youth, Spoon <laughs> by a bunch of kids in Central Park. This gang of youths with baseball bats beat up this group of skaters because they thought they were gay. What? Yeah, <gasps> that's terrible. He wasn't Dick Button. Wasn't even gay. He was like a straight skater named that's Dick, terrible. Dick Button. Well, that's one of the most horrible stories I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> but think, but poor Dick Button. So he was beat up and had brain. Damaged, a serious head injury. Then, in fast forward to the year two thousand, yeah, he was skating in a public 
public rink in New York State when he fell, fracturing his skull and causing another serious brain injury. But then he, he had be- some bad luck. He became a, sp- a national spokesman for the Brain Injury Association of America. Well, that's good. Wow. Dick so it ended Button. happily then. For him. Yes, it's yeah. So it, and he's still alive, I think. I was gonna say, live, I, I bet he is. Live by the ice, die by the ice. It's, like, you know, if yeah. it's like ninety million. If, if yeah. having your head caved in twice doesn't kill you, no, this nope, Dick Button might be immortal. He might be. He should be. He should be smoking yeah. and drinking every day because yeah, he, he, he can't die. I bet he probably probably traded die. his soul for immortality. Yeah. I would start smoking. If I make it to ninety, I'm gonna start smoking. <laughs> Eighty. Oh my God! Take, take it a decade early. Yeah, really. Just Shoot. start Wear smoking. Fun hats. If I make it to forty-five, I'm gonna start smoking crack when I'm eighty. Oh, but <laughs> just anything. Just, just oh, start meth? smoking Seriously. anything. Become a, a crackhead. Why wouldn't you start doing bath salts? Like you got It's got to be good. It's got to be something good. Bath about salts. It. Or like the bleach. What about taking the bleach internally thing? Oh yeah, that that, that in your eighty might as well. Does that get you high? It's but, got to. It's bleach. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'll go back to sniffing the Scotch Guard. That was those are good times. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not a bad thing. On Thursday, March 9th, nineteen fifty, the first successful American science fiction television show, Space Patrol, began as a fifteen minute afternoon series about adventures in the thirtieth century. In the thirtieth century? Yes. Um, and I, it's on YouTube. Yeah. And I, I, I have the link here because I wanted to play this because I think we're probably going to be okay as far as copyright goes because it was so old. Yeah. Space Patrol! Oh, outstanding. Our adventure in the wild, vast reaches of space, missions of daring in the name of interplanetary <laughs> justice. Into the future with Buzz Corey, Commander-in-Chief of... The Space Patrol! Brought to you by the Checkerboard Super Cereal. Oh, look at Wheat that. Checks, rice Checks, and Good Hot Ralston. Ah! Last time today for Space Binoculars. Last time today for Space Binoculars. Yes, sir, gang. Today's the last time we can offer you these wonderful new official <laughs> Space Patrol Space Binoculars. Man, oh man, they're terrific. Just listen to what this boy had to say when he got his space binoculars. Wow-wee! Buzz Corey was right. These aren't flimsy little goggles. These are great big binoculars. Gosh, look at that shine. Let's see now. The commander said you just slip them over your head, like this, and you're all set. Boy, they fit swell. <laughs> and now, now I can see what's going on way, way off in the distance. Easy. I can read that sign way over there. I never could. Jumping Jupiter. And boy, oh boy, I can look right in Johnny's house. He's eating his. Hey. And wow, I can see the cars so close up on Fifth Street. I can even tell what kind they are. (laughs) And there's a bird up in the top branches of that tree. And there's a squirrel up there too. (laughs) Say, I'm gonna have lots of fun with you, space binoculars. What? You're just like a pair of magic eyes. You make everything in the distance look a lot larger and clearer, just like it was real close to me. Be sure to get a pair, gang. They're terrific. But remember, today is the last (laughs) time we can make this offer. So, to get these, get this. Instant Ralston. Then, with your name and address, send 25 cents in coin and an instant Ralston box top to Space Patrol, Box 812, St. Louis, Missouri. That was wow. awesome. That, that's, I just wanted to play that commercial because, you know, what else is going to give you the feel of 1950 than a little boy? <laughs> wow. Becoming a Gee, peeping Mr. Tom. Yes. I know. I can see in my next door neighbor's house. In Johnny's house with his binoculars. <laughs> yeah. And so those of you podcasters at home that didn't see the video, you can look this up. Look up Space Patrol. It's the first one yeah. you see. And they're wearing these, but it's binoculars you put on your head, and they stay on your head, over your eyes. Oh, they're, it's not just going around your neck. No, it's going over your eyes, and it looks oh like my these God. giant binoculars attached to your head. So uh, you look like a pervert walking around with those things. And I think children, <laughs> I think children spoke like that. Yeah. The, the golly, gee whiz, yeah. boy, oh boy. Jumping Jupiter. Jumping Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> yep. We got to bring that back. I love that. Jumping Jupiter. We will Jump bring that Jupiter. back American Timelines. So that, that oh. <laughs> show debuted, uh, and that'll take us to 
I'm gonna I'm gonna skip some birthdays, Amy. I'm Thank not even looking you. at them because I'll be tempted to say them. Um, oh, William H Macy was born on March 13th. Stop. William H Macy, you can't give him up. Okay, Tuesday, March 14th, 1950. Did you know that the FBI 10 Most Wanted Fugitives program was introduced in 1950? Oh, on this date. I'm trying to think who who was the impetus for them to begin it. Machine well, the, Gun Kelly. The top person on the list was bank robber and murderer Thomas James Holden. Okay, I don't know who that is. Um, and Yeah, I'm not a fan. There were others, of course. On their number 11 was Willie Sutton. He was probably the most successful and famous bank robber of all time. Oh. Although he was caught several times, he once supposedly quoted by a reporter when asked why he robbed banks, he said, because that's where the money is. Uh <sighs> And he actually, I looked him up because I was going to do a, yeah. like a story on him. Um, and he got out of prison like in the 80s. Yeah. And then he moved to Florida and then hung out at a diner every day until he died. Oh, really? Yeah. And so, and the diner's still open. It's in like uh, Spring, God, Spring Valley, Florida, Spring something, Florida. Okay. I was going to try to contact somebody at that diner, but I decided not to. That's a different podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, that was interesting to me. But that's going to bring us all the way to March 18th, uh, Saturday, 1950, and Amy has something. But before we start, do you guys need a, does anybody need a break? You guys need a bathroom break or anything? I got to stand up just for a second and stretch my back. Yeah, let's get up and stretch. We'll play in maybe an advertisement. Think of a favorite show. Have you ever wondered what the writers were thinking? Or how you might have done things differently? Welcome to Right or Wrong. Got him, Rory. Get your mom. It's chaos. Rory dives out of the way as Chalmers lunges towards Marky and Tasia and begins firing. Most of the crew runs out of the house in all directions, having wrong. not signed up. I mean, I've got my own thoughts on where, well, or on where I think you should go, but just by the writing. I do think that a supernatural aspect would be beneficial, mm-hmm. uh, given what has been set up. Right. Tonally, structurally, all that. Mm-hmm. However, I'm not sure. Back at Gribbertone's headquarters after a successful gig. So I say to this knucklehead, look. Don't, don't get, get all riled up, creamy. Oh, okay, very funny. You've related this account to us um, on several prior just occasions. Just the way it's told, um, it, it felt like a comic book. Like I could see the stills of mm. each character yep. in some kind of pose. They had their own music. They had their own theme. Mm-hmm. Um, Very much what I was going for. It's so, it's so Only one way to find like out. Okay. Join us brave listeners in our writer's room. Welcome to Right or Wrong. Oh, thank you for listening to that ad. Yes. Uh, listen to that podcast. I think I have people that are going to give me an ad that I'm going to put in. So. All right. And we're back here with John Serpinski, an Ann Keen Vikings fan of 360 Flavor and Spice. Thank you guys again for being here. Is it just 360flavorandspice.com? Yes. Well, www.360flavorandspice.com. And you can also find them on Pornhub. That's right, but that's a different (laughs) name. They're under a different name there. No, 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 no. no, no. But now it's time for Amy to take over on March 18th, 1950. It's a Saturday. Okay, I am going to discuss the murder of Janet Christman. Ooh, do you guys know about this? The murder of Janet no. Christman? Okay. No, I'm intrigued. I got my uh, info from truecrimearticles.com, columbiatribune.com, and medium.com. Say those one more time for me. Truecrimearticles.com. ColumbiaTribune.com and Medium.com. Okay. Okay, so movies like Halloween and When a Stranger Calls do much to stir the imagination of young female babysitters. But there's a sinister beginning to these tales, one that still haunts a sleepy college town in Missouri. Missouri? I wrote that. Oh, you wrote that? Yeah, I wrote that. You really wrote that? That's not from somebody's I really wrote it. I was about to say, like, you know, you really shouldn't exactly say No, I wrote it. Good job. All right. Janet Christman was born on March 21st, 1936. Oh, wait. She was born the same day that the Noel Coward one-act play Star Chamber premiered in London? Yes. Wow. She she was the oldest daughter of Charles and Lula Christman with a younger sister by 18 months, Rita Christman-Smith, and a newborn baby, Cheryl Christman-Botteroff. Somebody named their baby Cheryl. Well, in the 50s. In the 50s, they did. Yeah. The young family of five had been living in Boonville, Missouri, 
before relocating to the small college town of Columbia, Missouri, known for its football team, which is the Mizzou Tigers. The Mizzou Tigers! Yep. And uh, do you know where Boonville is? No. Oh. I know where Columbia is. Amy's from St. Louis. Yeah. And they were living on the upper floor of the business they owned, Ernie's Cafe and Steakhouse, where they made an honest and reputable living. Ernie's Cafe and Steakhouse? I wonder what spices they might have. I don't know. (laughs) Janet was 13 years old and an eighth grade student at Jefferson Junior High School. Okay. She was described as a loving, church-going teenager who had a knack for playing the piano in the choir. She was intelligent and independent for her age. She worked a lot for the things she wanted. Whoa. On the brisk Saturday of March 18th, 1950. Oh, March 18th, 1950, the same day that Paul Whiteman's TV Teen Club was on. (laughs) Weighing 300 pounds and dressed in ornate shirts and colorful sports coats, Whiteman spoke hip phrases like, real gone. He was 59 years old at the time. The show was sponsored towards the end of his run by Tootsie Roll. And so Paul Whiteman would hand out... Tootsie Rolls to his teenage friends. Oh, my God. Ava, that's funny. That's what we want to see a clip of. Yeah. All right. Weird and gross. So, yeah, it was um, it was real windy and blustery out that day. Yeah. There was a dance party being held that evening for students. Okay. Janet had been invited to go by several of her friends, but she didn't end up going because she had plans to babysit. Okay. And she would often babysit for two families that were well acquainted with one another, the Romax and the Mu- and the Muellers. The Romax and the Muellers. On this evening, she was going to be tended, tending to Ed and Ann Romax's three-year-old son, Gregory. All right. And she was trying to save enough money to buy a burgundy-colored suit she had been saving up for for the upcoming Easter holiday. So she wanted to buy her own burgundy-colored suit. Yes. So it started to get dark. In and around 7.30 p.m., Janet arrived at the Romex house. The couple had recently moved to a rural and isolated home. A rural? Stop it. I can't rural. say the word rural. Rural is what Amy says. Rural. 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 A rural, rural. and isolated home <laughs> on 1015 Stewart Road, directly on the outskirts of Columbia. At the time, Anne was pregnant, and due to the recent and exhausting relocation, they hadn't been able to have a night out just for themselves in a long while. So when the chance arose to spend time with friends and play cards, they decided they were going to go. And that's what everybody did. Were they playing yep. uh, Bunko yeah. or Pinochle? Yeah, or? probably Bunko. Isn't Bunko with dice? Oh, maybe. I don't even mm-hmm. I don't have a clue. Pinochle or Shoscope, Sheepshead? Canasta? Partners game? Yeah. Maybe. Pinochle. Yeah, probably Pinochle. When Janet arrived, Anne assured her that Gregory enjoyed sleeping with the radio on and he shouldn't be too much of a hassle. Before leaving, Ed quickly taught Janet how to load, unload, and fire the shotgun in case anything transpired. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what? Yeah. This is a little Armed odd. babysitters. Different day. Different uh, thing. I mean, that, make, that leads me to believe they think something's going to happen. Right. As they were leaving, oh, yeah, Ed placed the gun near the front door and said they'd be back soon and told her to lock the door and turn the front porch light on if anyone came knocking. What? So then they left, and they were in good spirits, and they went out do, now, for the we, night. Uh, now, really, like, do we think this is just something they did in the 1950s, or do we think... I didn't get any... It, there was nothing that made it sound suspicious. It was just stated as a fact. Like, do you, do you think everybody in the 1950s that was babysitting had to learn how to load a shotgun in case... I don't know. Maybe it's because well, they were. Well, but even Mary Ingalls, you know, like had to sh- stave off coyotes. Maybe it was more animals than people. Maybe Ma- I don't know. I don't know. That's a good, wild that's a, dogs. I mean, it was rural. It was rural. <laughs> so maybe they're rural. thinking of bears. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was when all the motorcycle gangs started. Was uh, in the fifties, nineteen fifty. Yeah. Yes. So maybe that's motorcycle gangs. So throughout the evening, the weather began to get worse. The temperature went down to the mid-20s, and it was a storm bringing in rain and sleet. Okay. The winds swayed the nearby trees and echoed against the home. Despite the unexpected weather, there was no apparent cause for concern until 10.35 p.m. when Boone County Sheriff's Department received a frantic phone call. With the weather pouring in, the night for local police had been going relatively slowly. When the phone suddenly began ringing, Officer Ray, Ray McCowan picked up the receiver and asked what the emergency was. He was immediately met with the howls of a woman screaming in sheer panic. And she was, oh, she was just saying, come quick, come quick. 
He tried intervening, but then the phone line was cut short, and the dial tone was all that he could hear. And back then, they couldn't trace anything. Well, that's the problem, yeah. McCowan knew straight away the horror emanating from the female caller's voice was genuine and not a prank by teenagers, but all he could do was anticipate the phone ringing again because the call was too short to provide a trace. And the woman didn't mention any additional information as to what was happening or where she was or anything like that. She She thought they had superior future technology where they would automatically know where she was. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think that so much as just... She didn't think that or she just was panicked? She just couldn't get it out before she was... I'm thinking up. about it. At this time, plane engines ran by hamsters running balls. Right. So, so shortly after that, Anne Romack called home from the Moon Valley Villa where she and husband and the, the Muellers and other friends were to check on Janet and see how the night with Gregory was going, but nobody answered the phone. Uh-oh. Considering Alarm. it was quite late, Anne wasn't too concerned, thinking, oh, she must have just fallen asleep. Uh-oh. The Romex continued to spend a few hours away, and then they headed home at approximately 1.15 a.m. Oh, my gosh. That's late. They were swinging, I think. It could be. It was 1.35 a.m. when they pulled in the driveway, and it was filled with rain and mud. They noticed the porch light was on, and the front window blinds were open wide. As Ed began to fiddle with his keys to unlock the front door, he realized it had already been unlocked. Well, he was confused by this because of his instructions to Janet before leaving. And as he and Ann walked through the front door, they were met with an appalling discovery. Uh-oh. Three days shy of her 14th birthday, Janet Christman was found sprawled out on the living room floor in a pool of blood soaking through the shag carpet. She had been violently raped and murdered. Ah. Her legs were spread out with a right slipper barely hanging off her foot. There was a head wound from a blood instrument, multiple puncture wounds from a mechanical pencil, and a cord from an electric iron that had been snipped with a pair of scissors was bound tightly around her neck. A few feet away was the landline phone dangling off the hook, the reason why Anne was unable to get a response when she called earlier that evening. The sight of this horrifying scene sent Anne into a hectic state, and she darted up the stairs to check on her three-year-old son, Gregory, who had been unharmed and shockingly still asleep. What? Wow. Well, at least the baby's okay. But, but the door was unlocked, though? Yes. Hmm. So Ed Romack hurriedly dialed the phone, the police, and they were dispatched immediately. Sheriff Glenn Powell from Boone County Sheriff's Department arrived with numerous detectives and bloodhounds. Unfortunate complications soon arose, however, when Lieutenant Joe Douglas from the city police, which was a different jurisdiction it, that hadn't seen, hadn't any authority since the Romacks lived 100 yards out of the city limits, arrived at the scene and attempted to take over the investigation. The battle of leadership had the separate agencies being uncooperative with one another, and Though answers unraveled quickly, there was many disagreements amongst the two groups. Inside of the home were clear indications Janet had resisted her attacker. Blood smears and fingerprints were found in the living room and kitchen, where the back door had been unlocked and left ajar. As the police followed the trail outside, the search dogs managed to track the assailant's scent one mile up from St. Stewart Road to West Boulevard and across West Ash Street before losing the trail. Back at the crime scene, an adult male's footprints were found near a side window of the residence that had been shattered with a garden hoe, where several authorities believed the perpetrator had gained entry, primarily due to muddy papers found on the piano that were situated nearby. But that method of entry is where the two police jurisdictions did not get... get, um, They didn't agree? They didn't agree. Due to Ed's instructions he gave Janet, many detectives suspected the perpetrator knew Janet and tried appearing friendly to get inside. This theory was substantiated by the front porch light being turned on, as he told Janet to do if someone came to the door. The loaded shotgun nearby was untouched, and the apparent knowledge as to the, where the lo- to locate the electric iron to use the cord for a murder weapon. So they think somebody had to know where that was. Right. With this prevailing theory, law enforcement worked 12-hour shifts tirelessly performing stakeouts and canvassing surrounding areas under the suspicion the killer may return to the scene to relish what he'd accomplished. Likewise, the police sought assistance from the public, asking for locals to call in if they saw anything peculiar or anyone they knew acting differently than normal. Meanwhile, local officers had gone around questioning Janet's friends, family, and students from her school. During this process, along with lo- local residents planning in pl- phoning in possible leads, potential suspects were formed. However, it quickly became evident that a racial bias was present because the majority of the men brought in for questioning were black men in the community who were unwarrantedly deemed suspicious. Oh, man. Yep. Nevertheless, this tactic was fruitless, and the police were no closer to resolving Janet's murder. 
So this wasn't the first rape and murder to befall Columbia, Missouri. Four years earlier, on the bitterly cold night of February 5th, 1946, 20-year-old Mary Lou Jenkins had been brutally murdered in a similar manner to, Jer- to Janet. Mary Lou was at home alone, coincidentally less than a mile away, two blocks over from the Romack residence, so they were near, it was nearby. While her mother spent the evening a few houses away tending to an elderly couple, and her father was out of town conducting business. When Mary Lou's mother had to spend the night away down the street, they conjured up a plan to alert one another if something was amiss. Their scheme was to turn on a light, lift up the shades, and place a phone call if something was wrong. Okay. Late into the night, Mary Lou's mother noticed a light on in the house with the shades up. But since she never received a phone call, she didn't believe anything was wrong. The following morning when she returned home, she stumbled upon the, gun, the gut-wrenching scene of her daughter deceased on the living room floor. She had been raped and strangled uh, with an extension cord. Why the rapes? Two weeks later, Floyd Cochran, a 35-year-old disabled trash hauler, was arrested for savagely murdering his wife. Afterward, oh, wow. he attempted to commit suicide but was unsuccessful. And once the police were aware of what transpired, they took him into custody, and he willingly admitted without any remorse that he murdered his wife. But considering the timeline of events and the desperate need to solve Marilou's murder, Boone County investigators interrogated Floyd for 10 hours where he supposedly made incriminating statements that led to his guilt. And he later confessed to the crime despite no evidence connecting him to the murder. So we think that's just like the police trying to just... This is the other other case, not Janet's case. This is Marilou's. So he was sentenced to die on September 26, 1947... A few hours before being executed, he recanted his alleged confession. And then it was later discovered he was coerced to give a false confession. But the deed had already been done, and Marilou's death is considered solved now. So a series series of prowlers and peeping toms would emerge in the following years. And in the late months of 1949, the activity increased with a string of sexual assaults. Ah. The first rape occurred several days before Halloween. A 16-year-old teenager was babysitting on East Sunset Lane when an unidentified male wearing a white homemade mask with holes cut out for eyes broke into the residence and violated the young woman in the living room. I mean, Anne, can you think of anything more horrifying than having someone in a white mask with holes cut out for eyes break in while you're holding? No, no, no. So Uh. then... The following month, on November 29th, 1949, 18-year-old Stevens College oh, student... Oh, wait. November 29th, 1949, the same day that Jerry Lawler, professional wrestler and color commentator in West Memphis, Arkansas, was born? And Gary Shandling was born in Chicago, oh. Chicago, Illinois. All right. That's a uh-huh. nice ad. See, they like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 18... Well, just to lighten it. <laughs> yeah, to lighten, to lighten it a little bit. I know. Gary Shandling. So um, this was an 18-year-old Stephen College student. Her name was Sally Johnson. She was the next target. She lived one block away f- from where the prior victim was attacked and was home alone falling asleep on the sofa while watching television when an unknown male gained entry and attempted to attack her. Thankfully, she resisted him and was left unarm- unharmed as the perpetrator panicked and fled from the home. How do all these, how do they always know when it's a babysitter that's like 12 or I don't 13? know. I don't that's the, they must be... The- Watch it. They have to know. Yeah, they have to. That's the thing. If they they watch and they know the neighborhood, they had to be scoping that out. They're yeah. casing the joint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's uh, what Ann says. On the very next day, um, another incident occurred. A college student enrolled at the University of Missouri was on a date with her boyfriend. They were at Hinkson Creek, which was a lover's lane. And in lover's their vehicle. Why well, they don't have lover's lanes anymore, do they? They do. They do? It's a, uh, yeah, it's a... It's, they're, they're shops for uh, adult uh, yeah, paraphernalia. That's right. They are. <laughs> Those are lover's lanes now? People go there and have sex a no, lot? No. No. So they were in the car. Maybe when, in the back lot. In the back lot. In the back lot. <laughs> Gross. Um, when a man draped in a white hood and was brandishing a firearm appeared and ordered them out of the car. They, did it, they were told and he forced the couple several yards away. He robbed and bound the man, then ordered the woman to walk. When they were a considerable distance away, he sexually assaulted her and sprinted away from the crime scene. Then, days later, on December 4th, 1949... Oh, December 4th, 1949, the same day that actor Jeff Bridges was born in Los Angeles, California, to an acting acting family, Lloyd Bridges. Right. Boo Bridges. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Deborah, Deborah, their mom, Deborah Bridges, is that her name? Deborah? I don't know. Who knows? Um, a 26-year-old black man named Jake Bradford had been arrested after the police caught him in the act of peeping inside a young woman's window. He spent a week in jail and after intense questioning confessed to assaulting the 16-year-old in October and the attempted rape of 18-year-old Sally Johnson, even though she was brought in to ask if he was the perpetrator and she couldn't say. Nevertheless, the reporters, the reports of peculiar prowlers and rapes in the area started to go down. The police believed they apprehended the right man, and locals began to feel a sense of relief that all of a sudden the nightmare resurfaced with the tragedy fell upon Janet Christman with shocking parallels to Mary Lou Jenkins, and it caused many people to cast doubts on the police's original yeah. a- answers. So as they continued on with their investigation into Janet's murder, one prime suspect named Robert Mueller, Mueller materialized. Wait, and, Robert Mueller? Yes. Isn't that the guy, <laughs> the Mueller? The Mueller? I hope not. It's not the same guy. It's not the same guy? The same guy? Not the same guy. The Mueller? The Mueller? Uh, it's spelled the report? same way. Uh, Mueller, Mueller, what is it? So he was a, he was 27 years old, and he was the one that was friends with Ed Romack since high oh, school. Oh, It was yeah. that other couple. Gotta know them, dude. Yeah. After graduation, he served in World War II as an Army Air Corps captain and had a distinguishable record. Then he later returned to Columbia, Missouri, over t- overtaking his father's restaurant, Mueller's Virginia Cafe, and working as a tailor. Or Mueller. Or Mueller. Many people remember him for dressing well and always carrying around a mechanical pencil in his front shirt or jacket pocket. Uh, remember creepy. She was stabbed. Yes, very creepy. Yeah, very she creepy. Was, she was stabbed with a mechanical pencil. That's right. When Mueller and Ed Romack reacquainted, they shared mutual friends and would frequently spend time together. According to Ed, he had a lustful eye for virgin women and uh. spoke about having a desire to defile someone young. Ah. Ew. What? It's, hey, no. As soon as your friend says that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, creep meter goes off the charts yes. if someone like, I'd like to defile someone young. Yeah. What? <laughs> oh. That yeah. should raise a red flag somewhere. Well, you know, and wouldn't you, if your friend says that, mm-hmm. and you know you're having a 13-year-old babysitter, wouldn't you give her a shotgun and be like, hey, yeah, here's yeah. how you use the shotgun? Well, and he knew Janet the uh, because she babysat from him on numerous occasions. Wait, she babysat for him? Yes, and Ed recalled him making lecherous comments about her well-developed hip, hips and breasts. Oh. Additionally... Ew. Come on. Mueller's lewd behavior stemmed over to Ed's wife, Anne, who felt uncomfortable around him because of his uninvited sexual advancements. Jeez, this guy. One day before Janet's murder, he had been visiting the home helping Anne hem a dress and reportedly tried groping her breasts. In a formal statement given to police, she described him as a man who doesn't use words, he uses his hands. Why would he be helping her hem a dress? I know. You already know he's a fucking gross pervert. Right. And the oddities didn't end there, however. The morning of Janet's death, Robert contacted Janet to ask if she would babysit his children that night. But she said no. She'd already had plans to look at the Romax son. Furthermore, Mueller attended the gathering where the Romax and their mutual friends were. But hours into the party, he excused himself, claiming he had to meet a doctor who was meant to tend to his son. Mueller disappeared for two hours before returning to the party. The police questioned Mueller's doctor and discovered he never went to Mueller residence that evening. Oh. To implicate Robert even further, Ed Romack got a phone call from Mueller at his father's home on the morning after the murder. Supposedly, he had asked if he needed any assistance with cleaning up the blood throughout the house. What? However, he shouldn't have known about the tragedy that took place because the crime hadn't been printed in the local newspaper yet. Yes. Oh, there it is. The mm-hmm. tell. Additionally, Ed claimed Mueller would later speak to him regarding the crime and begin expounding on how he believed the crime unfolded, claiming that breaking a window to climb into the home would be too loud and noticeable. Instead, it would be much easier to knock on the door and say, Ed sent me here to get poker chips. The circumstantial evidence against Mueller was staggering and overwhelming. In May 1950, law enforcement compiled all the evidence against him and went to his residence to speak with him. Rather than following all the basic guidelines of an arrest warrant and an interview procedure, the officers didn't take him into custody. Rather, they transported him to a farmhouse outside of city limits and interrogated him at length throughout the course of the night. Mueller was subsequently taken to the state capital, Jefferson City, where he was given a polygraph test, and he passed. Jefferson City is the capital of Missouri, right? Right. That's the only thing I know about it. He passed as well at polygraph test. Oh, he passed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but those are inconclusive, right? With the unfortunate results of the lie detector test, the detectives had to let Mueller go free. However, all the evidence pointed in his direction, and the court judge, W.M. Dimwittle, 
felt compelled to arrange a grand jury to investigate Mueller's case further. So over time and legal issues, Robert Mueller was never charged because of the profound level of incompetence police con- conducted during the interviewing or during the investigation into him. These intertwined factors led Mueller to not be apprehended, and he later sued the police department but lost the lawsuit. Afterwards, he relocated with his family to Tucson, Arizona, and in 2006, he passed away at 83 years old. After everything that has transpired in in the small town of Columbia, it seems as if all the families involved in some form or other needed to uproot their lives from the haunting memories and start over again. The Romax moved to Idaho Falls, Idaho, and lived with sincere regret that conclusive answers were never given. In 1980s, Anne passed away. Ed eventually remarried, and in 2016, he passed away at 93 years old. His son, Gregory, grew up successful and settled down in Alaska. The Christman family remained in Columbia and continued running their business until Janet's father, Charles Christman, passed away in 1974 at 60. After his death, his wife, Lula, moved to Kansas City, where she remained until um, she died in 2009. The oldest daughter would settle down with a wonderful man and start a family of her own, while the youngest daughter, Cheryl, who was only a baby at the time of the murder, moved to Florida. So it's now been 70 years, and the once-loving, hard-working, independent 13-year-old who was saving up for a burgundy dress for Easter would have been 84 years old on March 21st, 2020. While the Romex and the Christman family believed Robert Mueller is responsible for Janet's murder, they were painfully stricken with the unsatisfaction for receiving legal justice and closure, and the case officially remains unsolved. That guy definitely did it. Do you think he's related to uh, Bob Mueller from the Mueller report? Maybe. <laughs> you guys have a I spice for I wonder when they... <laughs> you have a spice for that horrible rape murder uh, story? Absolutely not. <laughs> there are no rape spices. I just wonder when uh, when they started, like after he passed a lie detector test, when they started to cast some doubt on yeah. lie detectors. Because there was a time in the like 70s and 80s where they're like, there's a way to beat it. Now they've... They've got more technology, but man, yeah, the fact that he could pass and knew all those details—it's like, I right? Th- yeah, I think they believed lie well, detector tests then. Didn't yeah, they? they say that they say that people are good at, you know, if you're good at lying, you can pass any lie detector test. And John, like people John, don't, you're very good at lying. I think. Oh no, now don't put that back on me. Don't put that back on me now. I think you murdered that girl in 1950. No, no, no. no. no Come John, on, John wasn't born yet. John is a very attractive young man. All right. And I have a couple. I have a couple more things left for March that maybe we have a spice for. Okay. Mine. Cl- will, cleanse the palate. Mine will hopefully not be rape heavy. Okay. So we can get. Uh, uh, in fact, I have a UFO thing. Like, okay, oh, great. Yeah, I really wanted Amy to cover this, but um, uh, I got this from noufors.com. Noufors.com? I don't know. What okay. It's a website by UFOs. And they cited the source, the U.S. Air Force Project Blue Book Special Report Number 14 from 1955. Two airline pilots radioed on, on March 20th. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1950, two airline pilots radioed the air traffic control tower at Memphis to report that they had witnessed an unidentified flying object mm-hmm. a thousand feet above them and traveling at a tremendous rate of speed. Ooh. Jack Adams of the Chicago and Southern Airlines and his co-pilot G.W. Anderson were flying passengers from Memphis to Shreveport and they were over Stuttgart, Arkansas when they spotted the craft. Mm-hmm. And then they were on, They ended up being on the NBC TV show uh, today with Mrs. Roosevelt the next day, I guess. And then you can find this uh, interview with them on YouTube mm-hmm. uh, where they talk about it. And they don't. These are old 1950s pilots. They yeah. don't look like they're. They have no reason to make it up. But they were right. fly, they right. were they were flying a commercial DC three when they saw this object approaching the airliner at high speed. It appeared to be circular. A disc shaped with a diameter of approximately 100 feet. The bottom side appeared to have 9 to 12 symmetrical oval or circular p- portholes. Captain Adams estimated the speed to be in excess of 1,000 miles per hour. The observation, which lasted about 25 to 35 seconds, occurred about 15 miles north of a medium-sized city. When the object passed in front of the airliner, it was not more than a half-mile distant at an altitude of about 1,000 feet higher than the airliner. 
uh, uh, is, uh, it was a disc-shaped. In the top center was a light which was blinking at an estimated three flashes per second. This light was so brilliant that it would have been impossible to look at it continuously had it not been blinking. This light could only be seen when the object was approaching and after it had passed the airliner. When the object passed in front of the observers, the bottom side was visible. The bottom side appeared to have 9 to 12 of those pot portholes. Uh, and out of the portholes came a soft purple light. Hmm. That was an early uh, satellite, just an early version of a, a satellite. Oh, that we, like, nobody, they didn't know that it existed at the time? Well, yeah, it was just, you know, the early versions of, that were kept top, top secret by both Russia and America and India. They had satellites at that time. But it's not an alien? No, no, it's just the early version <laughs> of He satellites. just really took the wind out of your sails. Yeah, All right, John, coinc- yeah. coincidence or not that William Hurt was born that same day. Oh, very nice. That's, no, it's a... Uh, uh, that's irony. That's that irony. Was born that day. <laughs> and then on March twenty third, nineteen fifty, the twenty second Academy Awards was held mm-hmm. uh, on March twenty third at the RKO Pantages Theater and awarded Oscars for the best films of nineteen forty nine. You guys have any guess on what movie won best, best picture? Best song was "Going My Way" by uh, Bing Crosby. Uh. I don't know if they did best song. <laughs> All the King's Men was the best picture. Ah, that's never a seen wonderful it. film. Did you ever see that, John Strapinski? Yes. The rise and fall of a corrupt politician who makes his friends richer and retains power by the dint of the, a populist appeal. Yes. Star- wow, that sounds really yes, uh, familiar right yeah. now. Starring Broderick Crawford, John Ireland, and Joanne Drew. I watched it. I was. I They're was all dead now. They're all dead. Everybody's yeah. everybody's dead. Uh, can you hear our dog drinking? Jesus. No, oh. I can't. But hopefully, okay, hopefully, can. hopefully I can in your audio, and I will like feature it. Nice. But that brings us to the end of March 1950, and that's the end of this episode. Yes. Oh. But thank you for being here, John. No. Thank, thank you. Thank you guys thank you. so much for doing this. And please Absolutely. buy spices from 360 <laughs> Flavor and Spice. Right, now, I understand Ann told me earlier, you guys have hot sauce, but... Uh, no, no, just one, and it's it's a local, so yeah, they're not paying me to advertise. So. <laughs> uh, nothing's for free in this world. Thank you for being here. 360 Flavor Spice. What do, is there a way that when people buy from 360 Flavor Spice online... Is there a comment section where they can say, hey, I learned about this on American Timelines? There is, but I keep getting Russian bots doing that. So I don't, yeah, don't speak like a Russian bot if they do. Okay. But there is a comment section. Yeah, in your comments, Um, when you purchase from 360 Flavor and Spice, and trust me, this is what you're going to want to do instead of buying grocery store spices. Yeah. Fuck the grocery store aisle. You're going to get killed there. That's where you will die. And you don't want to die. Clearly. Order it from 360 Flavor and Spice. They'll be with, the shipping is really affordable. It's an insane price. And yeah, I'm losing saying, money on the deal. You people are these people are stealing money from you. <laughs> you're stealing thieves. money out of their pocket. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you, you're, you'd be stupid not to order from these guys, and you're supporting yeah. a small business. And you can say you can tell them that you learned about them from American Timelines by History for Jerks. That's right. Awesome. And then they will send you something extra, like. Uh, Little some, shot of pizzaola or something. Or some like, hair. No, maybe not the some of John's hair. Stop. What? Uh, I can I, uh, definitely, I'll put a little sample bag of something. There you uh, go. It could be the uh, the Joe and Amy jerk spice. Spice yeah. for jerks. We are there jerks. There we go. That works. History for jerks <laughs> that for goes jerk good. spice. Yeah, we could. We should market that and then sell it. We'll History for jerk spice. No, I've already, I claim, I claim that for, uh, you can't market it, I, I'm already doing it. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you for being here, guys. Thanks, All right. Andy, for your murder and rape story. Thanks, everybody, yes. for thank listening. American Timelines by History for Jerks. It's time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Thank you. Get out of here, Chuck Berry. And Matt Truman, Ego Trip, take it away.
Between Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.